friends, and welcome to the podcast that has been opening up hearts and changing lives one day at a time all over the world. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Brainworms goddamn podcast. And it is a very special Halloween spooktacular episode. Spooktacular is like copyrighted by someone, isn't it? Like, fuck them. Whatever. I'm Joe. In any event, I'm David. I'm Kane. I'm Chris, and I'm so scared my nipples are leaking milk. That's weird. And we have a special goddamn mystery guest in the Brainworm studio. Whose today. nipples are not milky. How do you know? You haven't seen anything. <laughs> go ahead and go ahead and introduce yourself, Jay Delicious. I'm JD, aka Jay Delicious from the Butcher Black Horror Podcast. Not in fact from Scrubs. That's not me. No, no not, that's someone not else. Graf, no. That would have been kind of exciting. I mean, it, not that I'm not excited to have you here as well. It's, well, uh, you know, it's an opportunity yeah, Zach, for a, Zach Braff would a have celebrity been a guest. guest. Did Zach Braff do anything after Scrubs? Yeah, he did a ton of stuff. He was in quite a few movies. But yeah, we have JD because of the special Halloween action that is happening today. We're reading Clive Barker's The Hellbound Heart, which had a very successful film based upon it, the film Hellraiser, Mm. and the gang over on Butcher Block. And I think maybe all of these brainworms as well might show up for that party uh, are going to be talking about that film. Let's see how this episode goes. As, as to whether yeah, or not we yeah. bring anybody over, you know what I mean? Right. That's gonna be. Yeah, we'll see how. I don't want to point might be specifically at anyone, but you know, wild wild party. <laughs> you know, you can just say it, Kane. I I I understand if you don't want me around. It's it's fine. <laughs> well, you said it anyway. <laughs> Goddamn Damn, clones! Y'all, y'all go and take the the sandpaper to each other in this room here. That's you guys are a lot of thinly veiled loathing over here on Green. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> Everyone loves me. Um, yeah, but Clive Barker, God bless him, playwright, novelist, film director, artist—he does it all. I Some of it he does very well. Yeah, this is one yeah. of his art art What's shows. I saw one. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a genius. He's amazing and worthy of praise. And yeah, we're going to be reading The Hellbound Heart, which apparently was inspired by his time as a sex worker in the 70s to some extent. So that's kind of interesting. Do we know what role he played? Well, I'm assuming he was a Cenobite. Yeah, he was a Cenobite. <laughs> yeah. I, he went and found a sex, Chris. That's that's what he did. He found a sex. <laughs> Stop sex. writing that line, David. That's like the one time in ever you're ever going to be it's funny. It's a good line, though. <laughs> Is that a line from Borat? (laughs) No. No, it's a line from David. It's a line from David. You're going to end up like What's-His-Face and Birdman. Who played Batman in in that? Michael Keaton. You're going to end up like Michael Keaton and Birdman. Stuck in one take? (laughs) Jumping out a window? (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Um, But to answer your question kind of, Chris, in interviews he referred to himself as a hustler. You can do what you want with that. Huh. Hmm. And probably with him as well. Yeah. Do what thou well, will. At least at the time. I mean, yeah, yeah, in the 70s, if you had the money. That he's financially successful enough now that I don't think he needs to do that work anymore. Right. I mean, sometimes you do that work not because you are in dire straits financially, but because you enjoy that work. Well, absolutely. Yeah. That's and I'm fair. not going to say good. that, like, if Clive Barker wanted to go out and have sex with people for money, he's certainly welcome to do so. He just doesn't need yeah. to. He doesn't need I just to. wonder uh, what kind of a price he would fetch these ways days. Now. Clive Barker? That's yeah. top dollar, I'm sure. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. 
Yeah. You go, Clive Barker. The one thing that stands out to me, though, is you don't often meet an introspective, quote, hustler, unquote. You've been hanging out at the wrong parties. Yeah, how many hustlers have you met? Yeah, let's let's unpack that. How many hustlers Uh, do you uh, know? uh, uh, Plenty at the the, the bar called the Schnooze Moose. Hey, man, we just met, okay? That's. What you don't, Wait, you what don't city? know me? <laughs> yeah, what what city is the schnooze moves in? Concerner. Ah, concerner. All right, what what state is Ah concerner in? Uh, Delirium. Delirium. Oh, shut up, Dave. I don't know. <laughs> it's in Akinapolis. Akinapolis. Right, dude. I don't know what I don't going either. On let's I don't like let's it. read a book that I'm excited to, to uh, hear David read. Yeah, but before we we're gonna read a book, and I'm excited to read a book actually, like. The, the one thing that this Halloween event has given us is slightly more enjoyable content that's, than what we usually that's get not from the show. Huge understatement. We've had we've had one. <laughs> yeah. I said slightly, Kane. Words mean things. I'm just saying Deathbite, fucking Lair of the White Worm. Dude, Lair of the White Worm. I know. Was painful. Yeah. I'm I'm it kinda sad missing her. I'm still recovering actually. Yeah, oh, you're yeah. gonna listen. To Something it. wicked this it's way there. comes was was really good though. Yeah, Chris, uh, just yeah. go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com, and you can find the nice. podcast there on any of your favorite podcast streaming sites. Well, it's true. Two of them specifically, can... and then YouTube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can also find out, Chris, if you want to support the show and help us, you know, keep it going, get better equipment buy microphones that don't smell like fluids, stuff like that, you can find a link to our Patreon <gasps> and you can really get the full Brainworms wow. experience. Yeah. Oh, that's that's exciting. It is. You can help us. There, there, there's no more to that, JD. Just, just help us. <laughs> just, I just, just imagine us. myself like locked in a wooden box under one of your beds. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you should mention that because that's what I imagine as well. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. We've all been imagining that. That's... Great minds think alike. <laughs> I imagine the same thing, except in my imagination, I am the box. Oh. <sighs> So we're all under a bed inside of you? <laughs> well, this just became a totally different sort of party. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think just... That the, was the, the candy bar with Clive the golden Barker. ticket. Thank you for that. <laughs> it's just making the show a little bit sexier. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yep. All right. Does anybody have anything else to add before we... Yeah. So the Butcher Block will be covering Hellraiser. So you can it's listen true. to the Brain Worms episode on Hellbound Heart and then immediately follow it up with the Butcher Block Hellraiser episode. Unless you listen to Brain Worms on the day it comes then, out, in yeah. which case you'll have to wait like yeah, two days. Yeah. Just wait. Yeah. Listen to the Brain Worms on yeah. Thursday and then just wait and, and Tissa... Say it. Panorama anticipate oh, anticipation. <laughs> well... Well, you guys know how many people are just biting at the bit. They're just like counting the the minutes. It's till, chomping at the till bit. How it, mm-hmm. suck my suck my fucking belly button, Kane? Uh, I've lost a thought. You know, it's really? gone. That's... It's gone. What? The I don't. Fuck? I, I, I have no idea where you were going with that. But what I know where I'm. Your belly button. You know for goodness' sake, what David, is in there, David? Should we read the book, or or do we just want to do this until we fucking die? Well. I'm pretty sure that those are not mutually exclusive, Joe. (laughs) That's fair enough.
David, you have a very distinct voice to me, if I just may add this, and in no way, shape, or form is this an insult, but you remind me of, no, hear me out, he reminds me of, like, Linus from the Peanuts gang as an adult. Hmm. I get it. Linus. Now that's... That's new to me. I've I've not heard that before. Interesting. It's a compliment because Linus is very cerebral and he's the most level-headed and calm. Well, I mean, I do spend every Halloween night sitting out in a pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin. And so. even the way you said Halloween, mm. it sounded like the way Linus says it. Okay. The real question is, is David, did you get the tiny piece of fabric that I cut from your blanket? You what? <laughs> Did you get the tiny piece of fabric that I cut from your blanket? You cut my blanket? Well, I... cut you. (laughs) (laughs) I like where this is going. Hey, hey, David. Yes, Joe? When you wait in the pumpkin patch, do you you make love to the pumpkins? Only with consent. Uh, Actually, you can't make love to pumpkins. Because they can't consent? Well, not just that. You can only fuck a pumpkin. Hmm. You know, all of this has Hmm. made me think about a horrible hell of like imagine if the afterlife is you become an individual cell in god's wife because the bible makes allusions that the the christian populace is god's bride so like you become one of the individual cells when god fucks his bride i'm gonna cut you off there imagine this if you will imagine i will find a puzzle box and if you solve it it brings you creatures from hell. That would be kooky and crazy. Would anybody be interested in hearing about something like that? I think H.P. Lovecraft wrote something about <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe Stephen King. I'm not sure. But but yeah, David, you should tell us about that. That sounds pretty cool. Oh, Finally. Right. Let's stop teasing the listeners. The Hellbound Heart, 1. So intent was Frank upon solving the puzzle of Lamarckin's box that he didn't hear the great bell begin to ring. The device had been constructed by a master craftsman, and the riddle was this. That though he'd been told the box contained wonders, there simply seemed to be no way into it, no clue on any of its six black lacquered faces as to the whereabouts of the pressure points that would disengage one piece of this three-dimensional jigsaw from another. At what point do you give up and just start hitting it with a with a hammer? About three hours in. Yeah. I thought of that scene in Office Space where they, like, beat the fuck out of a copy machine. <laughs> like, opening the box like that would be... <laughs> yeah, yeah. How Damn it, like, you, do you think the Cenobites would appreciate that if you just fucking smash it open with a tool? You just suddenly Pinhead comes out with a bat stuck to his head. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. <laughs> Frank had seen similar puzzles, mostly in Hong Kong, products of the Chinese taste for making metaphysics of hard wood. But to the acuity and technical genius of the Chinese, the Frenchman had brought a perverse logic that was entirely his own. If there was a system to the puzzle, Frank had failed to find it. Only after several hours of trial and error did a chance juxtaposition of thumbs, middle, and last fingers bear fruit. An Mm. almost imperceptible click, and then victory! A segment of the box slid out from beside its neighbors. There were two revelations. The first, that the interior surfaces were brilliantly polished. Frank's reflection, distorted, fragmented, skated across the lacquer. The second, 
that Lamarckand, who had been in his time a maker of singing birds, had constructed the box so that opening it tripped a musical mechanism, which began to tinkle a short rondo of sublime banality. Encouraged by his success, Frank proceeded to work on the box feverishly, quickly finding fresh alignments of fluted slot and oiled peg which in their turn revealed further intricacies. And with each solution, each new half-twist or pull, a further melodic element was brought into play. The tune counterpointed and developed until the initial caprice was all but lost in ornamentation. Wow. At some point in his labors, the bell had begun to ring, a steady, somber tolling. He had not heard, at least not consciously. But when the puzzle was almost finished, the mirrored innards of the box unknotted, he became aware that his stomach churned so violently at the sound of the bell it might have been ringing half a lifetime. He looked up from his work. For a few moments he supposed the noise to be coming from somewhere in the street outside, but he rapidly dismissed that notion. Goddamn kids ringing bells in the street. <sighs> ah, it's a scourge, really. <laughs> Back in my day. You know, <laughs> at what point does an engineer look at a box and say, I can make a puzzle out of this? Like, this just sounds so insanely complicated to me. Well, What's I mean, the there's a reason for that, yeah. Yeah. Was it Pandora's been... box complicated to open? That's a great question, actually. I mean, it didn't seem to be, but yeah. now I want to cross yeah, over. Yeah, actually, I, the way that I always read it was, it was like, imagined it was just, it was just a lid that was taken off and then everything happened. Maybe it represents like some sort of like moral difficulties. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> it had been almost midnight before he'd begun to work at the bird maker's box. Several hours had gone by. Hours he would not have remembered passing but for the evidence of his watch since then. There was no church in the city, however desperate for adherence, that would ring a summoning bell at such an hour. No, the sound was coming from somewhere much more distant through the very door, as yet invisible, that Lamarckin's, that Lamarckin's miraculous box had been constructed to open. Everything that Kircher, who had sold him the box, had promised of it was true. He was on the threshold of a new world, a province infinitely far from the room in which he sat. Infinitely far, yet now, suddenly near. The thought had made his breath quick. He had anticipated this moment so keenly, Planned with every wit he possessed this rending of the veil. In moments, they would be here. The ones Kircher had called the Cenobites, theologians of the Order of the Gash, Thanks. summoned from their experiments in the higher reaches of pleasure to bring their ageless heads into a world of rain and failure. Like recording a podcast. What a great line. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very Damn, good line. that's awesome. Would you mind repeating that line? Summoned from their experiments in the higher reaches of pleasure to bring their ageless heads into a world of rain and failure. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, ice cold. Yep. <laughs> Cold-blooded, baby. He had worked ceaselessly in the preceding week to prepare the room for them. The bare boards had been meticulously scrubbed and strewn with petals. Upon the west wall, he had set up a kind of altar to them, decorated with the kind of placatory offerings Kircher had assured him would nurture their good offices. Bones, bonbons, needles, a jug of his urine, the product of seven days' collection, stood on the left of the altar should they require some spontaneous gesture of self-defilement. On the right, a plate of dove's heads, which Kircher had also advised him to have on hand. You know, <laughs> this is some bad juju. Yeah. You <laughs> 
Markin yeah. sounds kind of like Howard Hughes to me, like collecting like jars of bodily fluids and stuff. Also, sure. just like, right? hey, uh, I want you to meet these guys for their arrival. <laughs> Super cool dudes. Um, have a plate of dove's heads and a week's worth yeah. of your own piss on hand. No questions, yeah. damn it. No nice questions. guys. Nice guys. Just, just if, if you're gonna have them over, you know, they they need they need some specific things. Don't don't worry about it. Also, as as someone who admittedly at a point in my life as a younger man did have a piss bottle don't judge me i had one bathroom in a house full of people and sometimes you just have to pee in the middle of the night you don't want that to collect for a week i I feel like there would be some odors that would emanate from that definitely he had left no part of the invocation ritual unobserved no cardinal eager for the fisherman's shoes could have been more diligent but now as the sound of the bell became louder drowning out the music box he was afraid. Too late, he murmured to himself, hoping to quell his rising fear. This is such good world building. Lamarckin's device was undone. The final trick had been turned. There was no time left for prevarication or regret. Besides, hadn't he risked both life and sanity to make this unveiling possible? The doorway was even now opening to pleasures no more than a handful of humans had ever known existed, much less tasted. <laughs> pleasures which would redefine the parameters of sensation, which would release him from the dull round of desire, seduction, and disappointment that had dogged him from late adolescence. Wouldn't it suck to, you know, you, you assemble all of these ritual items, you know, you, you get all of these things placed just so and, and clean the room for the Cenobite's arrival, and you're like, fuck, okay, I gotta, I gotta open this box, and you solve the puzzle. And then right at the last minute, you're like, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of lost interest. I, I kind of want to go watch some TV. <laughs> but at that point, you're just committed. Yeah. And Cenobites are going to happen. Also, with that description of the the round of seduction and being spurned, is this guy the first incel? Also, why can't this happen to more incels? Wait, wait, no. What if the, the Frenchman or whoever was the, that gave him the box... Kirkland. If, yeah, Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. What if he was trolling him and the Cenobites came out of the, you know, to oh, come see him be... and they just see the jug of piss <laughs> and played ahead. And they're just what like, the fuck what is the wrong fuck with you? What is wrong with you? <laughs> or or what even the better, fuck? they just gave him a toy oh from, a, from a gift shop and were like, all right, man, piss in this bottle and, and, you know, murder a bunch of helpless animals and do all these things. And then you open this box. And and it's going to open up a world of pleasure and pain. It's going to blow your mind. And it's just not. It's, he just gave him a toy. <laughs> you just reminded me of one of my favorite moments. And I can't remember if it was from either Hellraiser or Hellraiser 2. But one of the, the Cenobites was like, he just was like, pleasure or pain. And it was like this weird, like awkward scene. Like, I just love that. I don't know why I love it so much, but. Cool. Hmm. The doorway was even now opening to pleasures no more than a handful of humans had ever known existed, much less tasted. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry, David. Can I interrupt you one more time? Good Lord. What? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Chris, to answer your question, no. Frank is not an incel. It's not that he doesn't fuck and wants to fuck. It's that he's so bored of regular fucking that he needs to summon demons to get off in a way that he's not just lost interest in. And really, haven't we all been there? The doorway was even now opening to pleasures no more than a handful of humans had ever known existed, much less tasted. 
pleasures which would redefine the parameters of sensation, which would release him from the dull round of desire, seduction, and disappointment that had dogged him from late adolescence. He would be transformed by that knowledge, wouldn't he? No man could experience the profundity of such feeling and remain unchanged. The bare bulb in the middle of the room dimmed and brightened, brightened and dimmed again. It had taken on the rhythm of the bell, burning its hottest on each chime. In the trowels between the chimes, the darkness in the room became utter. It was as if the world he had occupied for twenty-nine years had ceased to exist. Then the bell would sound again, and the bulb burned so strongly it might never have faltered, and for a few precious seconds he was standing in a familiar place, with a door that led out and down and into the street, and a window through which, had he but the will or strength to tear the blinds back, he might glimpse a rumor of morning. With each peal, the bulb's light was becoming more revelatory. By it, he saw the east wall flayed, saw the brick momentarily lose solidity and blow away, saw in that same instant the place beyond the room from which the bell's din was issuing. A world of birds, was it? Vast black birds caught in perpetual tempest? That was all the sense he could make of the province from which, even now, the hierophants were coming that it was in confusion and full of brittle, broken things that rose and fell and filled the dark air with their fright. And then the wall was solid again, and the bell fell silent. The bulb flickered out. This time it went without a hope of rekindling. He stood in the darkness and said nothing. Even if he could remember the words of welcome he'd prepared, his tongue would not have spoken them. It was playing dead in his mouth. Yeah, fuck. Go through all of this. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, d- she, hi she everybody, I'm Frank. <laughs> yeah. Quit fucking interrupting, all right? <laughs> Want to hear what happens next? <laughs> oh my god, why are you like this? <laughs> and then light. It came from them. From the quartet of cenobites who now, with the wall sealed behind them, occupied the room, a fitful phosphorescence, like the glow of deep sea fishes, blue cold, charmless. It struck Frank that he had never once wondered what they would look like. His imagination, though fertile when it came to trickery and theft, was impoverished in other regards. The skill to picture these eminences was beyond him, so he had not even tried. Why, then, was he so distressed to set eyes upon them? Was it the scars that covered every inch of their bodies? The flesh cosmetically punctured and sliced and infibulated, then dusted down with ash? Was it the smell of vanilla they brought with them, the sweetness of which did little to disguise the stench beneath? Or was it that as the light grew, and he scanned them more closely, he saw nothing of joy or even humanity in their maimed faces? Oh, so they're podcast recorders, that's fine. (laughs) Only desperation and an appetite that made his bowels ache to be voided. What city is this? One of the four inquired. Frank had difficulty guessing the speaker's gender with any certainty. Its clothes, some of which were sewn to and through its skin, hid its private parts, and there was nothing in the dregs of its voice or in its willfully disfigured features that offered the least clue. When it spoke, the hooks that transfixed the flaps of its eyes and were wed by an intricate system of chains passed through flesh and bone alike to similar hooks through the lower lip, were teased by the motion, exposing the glistening meat beneath. 
I asked you a question, it said. Frank made no reply. The name of this city was the last thing on his mind. Do you understand? The figure beside the first speaker demanded. Ooh. Its voice, unlike that of its companion, was light and breathy. The voice of an excited girl. Every inch of its head had been tattooed with an intricate grid, and at every intersection of horizontal and vertical axes, a jeweled pin driven through to the bone. Its tongue was similarly decorated. Do you even know who we are? It asked. Yes, Frank said at last. I know. Of course he knew. He and Kircher had spent long nights talking of hints gleaned from the diaries of Bolingbroke and Gilderai. All that mankind knew of the Order of the Gash, he knew. And yet, he had expected something different. Expected some sign of the numberless splendors they had access to. He had thought they would come with women, at least. Oiled women, milked women, women shaved and muscled for the act of love. Their lips perfumed, their thighs trembling to spread, their buttocks weighty, the way he liked them. He had expected sighs and languid bodies spread on the floor underfoot like a living carpet. Had expected virgin whores whose every crevice was his for the asking and whose skills would press him upward upward to undreamt-of ecstasies. That also sounds like a hellscape. Maybe after, like, hour two. I mean, like, a living carpet mm. of just, like, horny bodies. Like, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah well, I think you're, you're right, imagining you're right. them stitched together, and I don't think that's that's what it was. No, I, I see where you're coming from. Just, just flesh upon flesh, just writhing and kind of moist. Yeah, I could see that being unsettling in the right context. Sounds yeah. like a normal carpet to me. <laughs> I've been to that club, you know. I. <laughs> we all know because everyone likes you to walk in with your great David feet. <laughs> <laughs> they would be on wiki feet mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if I cared. I wonder what that piercing would cost that they described kind of connecting all over with chains. I feel and... like it yeah. through your Probably eyelids. some prison time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you found the right piercer, like he would, it would be free. They would just be like, "Oh fuck yeah, I'll do that." That sounds fucking metal. I don't know if that's true. Nah, because they're going to jail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's hooks and chains from your eyes to your lips. Yeah. That's a lot. I'm pretty sure that the person that would be game for that in real life would also be game for a suspension. And I'm I don't think I can handle seeing that. Mm -hmm. Like swinging from your face. No, no, that that no. that actually would probably be a little much for me. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm yeah. I'm cool with suspension. I'm cool yeah, with yeah. you know all sorts of shit. But uh, you know, bring on the hooks, put them through your back, whatever. Not through your face, so but much. not through your face. Don't hang from your face. Right. Don't no. hang from your face, kids. Yep. Like I guess if you had an elaborate network of of support, then like you could suspend from like your shoulders and then have the chains through your face but not supporting your actual body weight. Yeah. I don't know if I'd want to see it, mm. but I feel like it could be done. Right. Well, you don't want to damage those soft tissues too much because like, right. what are you your do, cats you going to eat eyeballs. when you die in your apartment <laughs> alone with them? <laughs> and let's be realistic here. If you're the sort of person who is going to pierce through your eyes and then suspend yourself from it, you probably own cats. What? What if <laughs> yeah. the person that was into that can't like, belong to a wrong. conservative religious family, and like the police had to explain to his parents, like your your child died 
suspended from his face. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, off topic, did you hear about the priest in New Orleans who got arrested for having a threesome on the altar of his church with two dominatrices? I rock, saw the headline while yeah, we were right? waiting for, uh, for everyone to get here for the recording. I didn't read it, but I saw it and I was like, huh. Yeah, yeah. I frequent New Orleans regularly, and that is an interesting story. I'm going to have to visit quite that on place. Brand. Quite on yeah. brand. Wow. Apparently, he was arrested for public indecency because the church was open. Like, the doors Surely. weren't locked, so oh, someone right. walked so, in. That makes sense. So that so must have been an element of excitement wrong. for them. Yeah. Um, yeah, unless maybe that was part of it. Like, oh, fuck, I might get caught doing this. That's what I'm saying. Like, that Which was is part of the enough. excitement. Yeah, because otherwise he could have just done it and it would have been fine. Right. No one would ever know. Yeah. And apparently they brought in like lights and had recording equipment. They were definitely filming a porno with an oh, actual no. priest. That's Fuck awesome. yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Well, when, you know, like donations are low right now, you know what I mean? Oh, so you got to do what you got to do. Do it after closing I wanna go time. I want to go to that priest's sermon. I want to know what he has to say. That's actually um, not a sermon. It's a semen. <laughs> <laughs> Womp, womp, womp. Well, I was just going to mention that uh, this now brings one priest arrested for indecent exposure versus zero priests arrested for raping children. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah. So it's another chalk mark on the opposite side of the board. Although we can't top that, Chris, but that priest was definitely being topped. At the time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> topped off. <laughs> And uh, I'm just I'm just going to drive this in a slightly different direction by saying that uh, the book describes this Cenobite as having, you know, pins in every inch of its head with mm -hmm. jeweled, you know, and a tongue similarly decorated. Right. So just imagine I'm not going to do this. So you don't want to kiss that Cenobite with a open mouth type of kiss. That would no, I was going to talk like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, I would be like, hey, dude, would you just be like, you know, say this, uh, Sally sells <laughs> seashells by the yeah. seashore. And Do if you, you even know who we are? I would be like, would you just say <laughs> ship for me? My would words. you please say the word ship for me? <laughs> just say ship. I just want to hear you say it. Yeah. yeah, see? You know, guys, yeah. with that priest portraying his, his religion and all that, I guess that makes him a Judas priest. <laughs> Hell fucking yeah. Can we move on? <laughs> I just thought about the Ripper, especially because it's October and close to Halloween, and that's an yeah. awesome Judas Priest song, The Ripper. Mm -hmm. Nice. He had expected size. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you I saying? was just wondering that if I was wondering if Rob Helford could still hit that note. Yes. His old yeah. vocal cords, could they yep, still get he there? He absolutely can. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, his you. his pipes are still incredibly intact after awesome. his age. That's good. good to hear. Yeah. That's good to yeah. hear. Same thing with King Diamond, in case anybody was curious. That's I hope impressive. I wasn't, but thank you. That, that's impressive, actually. Like, that dude had some uh, some high-end range. Let's call it that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw King Diamond with Uncle Acid and the Deadbeats. Hell, and, yeah. And uh, when King Diamond came on, I was like, there's no way he's going to. And then he did it. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> and, it, and, and that sound melted your face, and you've never A been little the bit. same. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Like the, the Nazis at the end of Indiana Jones. <laughs> yeah. Mm. You mean Belloc? Indeed. That was his sure. name. Yeah. 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 Well done. 
He had expected sighs and languid bodies spread on the floor underfoot like a living carpet, had expected virgin whores whose every crevice was his for the asking and whose skills would press him upward, upward, to undreamed-of ecstasies. Mm. The world would be forgotten in their arms. He would be exalted by his lust instead of despised for it. But no, no women, no, no sighs. Only these sexless things with their corrugated flesh. Now the third spoke. Its features were so heavily scarified, the wounds nurtured until they ballooned, that its eyes were invisible and its words corrupted by the disfigurement of its mouth. What do you want? it asked him. He perused this questioner more confidently than he had the other two. His fear was draining away with every second that passed. Memories of the terrifying place beyond the wall were already receding. He was left with these decrepit decadents with their stench, their queer deformity, their self-evident frailty. The only thing he had to fear was nausea. Kircher told me there would be five of you, Frank said. The engineer will arrive should the moment merit, came the reply. Now again, we ask you, what do you want? Why should he not answer them straight? Pleasure, he replied. Kircher said, you know about pleasure. Oh, we do, said the first of them. Everything you ever wanted. Yes? Of course. Of course. It stared at him with its all too naked eyes. What have you dreamed? It said. The question put so boldly, confounded him. How could he hope to articulate the nature of the phantasms his libido had created? He was still searching for words when one of them said, This world, it disappoints you? Pretty much, he replied. Big mood. <laughs> You're not the first to tire of its trivialities, came the response. There have been others. Not many, the gritted face put in. True, a handful at best, but a few have dared to use Lamarckin's configuration. Men like yourself, hungry for new possibilities, who've heard that we have skills unknown in your region. I'd expected, Frank began. We know what you expected, the Cenobite replied. We understand to its breadth and depth the nature of your frenzy. It is utterly familiar to us. Frank grunted. So, he said, you know what I've dreamed about. You can supply the pleasure. The thing's face broke open, its lips curling back, a baboon smile. Not as you understand it, came the reply. Frank made to interrupt, but the creature raised a silencing hand. There are conditions of the nerve endings, it said the like of which your imagination, however fevered, could not hope to evoke. Yes? Oh, yes. Oh, most certainly. Your most treasured depravity is child's play beside the experiences we offer. Will you partake of them? Said the second Cenobite. Do it. Frank, do it. <laughs> yep, do it, do it, do it. Do it, you scary bitch. What? I'm, I'm just <laughs> picturing the, the, the Cenobites show up to someone's room and they're like, what do you want? And I want to be my pink furry, oh woo. 
Could I could, could I have a cola? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Every time you you say Cinnabite, I keep thinking of like cinnamon and frosting. <laughs> Why specifically me though? <laughs> what? Like churros? Like a Cinnabun? No, no, not not you. Just in <clears throat> general, oh. I think the way when David's reading it, I hear Cinnabite, and that's what it's making you think me of think Cinnabon? of. I'm thinking it of makes Cinnabons. you think of Cinnabuns. Yeah, with like yeah. pins and chains, and it's like a bondage <laughs> dessert. Didn't oh, they? That's did, didn't real the weird. Company Cinnabon offer like a mini version that they called a Cinnabite for a minute, or am I making that I up? I felt like I don't they know. did. If not, then they're missing a beat, right? And think of all of these like vehicles for advertising they could go with. Yeah, Cinnabites are were a thing that Cinnabon made. That's awesome. That's good to know. See. You can use Hellraiser now to move your product. Yeah, they should have. He could have been like, pleasure or pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) The rights to at least the movie franchise have passed through a few hands over the years. But that would have been some amazing (laughs) cross-promotion. That's what I'm saying. I really... Yeah. I'm with you. Get the actor that played Pinhead just in it. Doug Bradley. Especially around Halloween. Think of all of the Cinnabites they'd sell. Just just get him in a Cinnabon uniform. You're welcome. Would you like... A delicious pastry. If the we CEOs have seen are listening, your desire for delicious cinnamon. Have oh, them in so... bite-sized form. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Cinnabon. Yeah, where's our check? <laughs> Man, fuck Cinnabon. All right. <laughs> when was the last time anyone sitting in this podcast right now? Had a fucking Cinnabon. <laughs> the last time I was at an airport. Yeah. Um, is Cinnabon like the item or is that a brand? It's a brand. I, both. I think it's a brand and, and it's, it's and also it's an, an item. item. Yeah. 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 I haven't had one in a long time. I haven't either. It's yeah. It's probably yeah. an indication that it's been too long. It's They're in malls. It's probably here. an indication that while delicious, it's really fucking gross. It is gross. I don't like food that makes my hands feel dirty. Right. Right. So you don't like any food. Yep, you're just not a fan of, of street food <laughs> at all. Like, you can eat it with a utensil, then it's it's fine. What would happen if, if somebody put a big slice of deep dish pizza down in front of you? Pizza's okay. Pizza's okay. You'll handle it? Yeah. Are you one of those people that eat your pizza with a fork and a knife? No, no. no I, I worse yet. That's what I was worried about. How do you manage fucking tacos? Well, I think tacos is like a. It's, well, I mean, that's a it, phenomenal question. This is a weird tangent. We've it's a, gone it's on. a dry, dirty. If it has like a a bread or a crust as a delivery mechanism, then I don't have to touch the part of it. That's not true. That makes my hands feel unclean. A it, good taco, a good taco, is absolutely gonna pour its delicious contents out onto your hands while you're eating it. Sure. And Kane, to be fair, we are just aligning this aspect of the conversation with uh, the pleasure aspects of the story. Yeah, we are. It's true. I yeah. love tacos. <laughs> tacos are amazing. If Wait, you don't if, actually if... love tacos, like, I don't fucking trust you. Right? <laughs> you might be a cop. You're definitely a cop. Cops right, don't well, like tacos. Here, here's all I know. I'm getting a jar of my own piss and some bird heads. And when those motherfuckers yep. show up, I'm asking for some tacos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like chorizo and... Do you think they offer group <laughs> activities? You know, um, like... I don't know. Can we all meet up in the same dingy hotel room? Right. Work together to solve the configuration? Yeah. Like, like, dude, like, flay me or put me up on meat hooks or whatever you gotta do. But just make with the tacos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I need, my, I need my hands free so that I mm-hmm. might feast upon delicious tacos 
while right. you eviscerate oh my God. No, me. Oh, that's, oh, that's imagine this. Imagine this. I'm I show game. up and you say, I want the eternal taco. And it's a taco that never ends. And imagine this. Imagine this. You place that taco in the same harness that Neil Young would blow into a, har- a harmonica. And, and it's just <laughs> oh, a taco. Oh, that's genius. And it never ends. And you can just... Oh, meow, 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 and you can, meow. Yeah, exactly. And it's forever. It's like a thing. No one could see it because this is audio. This is radio. But I did a thing where I, where I swung my face back and forth <laughs> when I made that noise and then realized I'm in an empty room and no one saw me doing it. I, felt a little I appreciate you taking, on the, taking us on that ride together with you, though. That's, yeah. And to the add to the visuals of the podcast, I, as you mentioned, no one can see what's really going on in our humble abodes, but I'm actually swinging from the ceiling right now. Oh, nice. excellent. Yeah. From your face? Uh, from my nipples. Oh, good. good. Nice. Good. Yeah. And my, and my ass neck, my wept. ass neck too has a few jewels through it. <laughs> good, good. <sighs> I pierced the, the shaft of my penis just for this podcast. To swing from? To swing from, yeah. <laughs> you guys should see my chair. Does it have nails on it? Oh, at the least. At the least. <laughs> You've seen like Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> just imagine that, but like... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm everywhere hey nice. let's imagine and i'm just 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 that hear me continue out continue with the podcast that we continue with the fucking story <sighs> fine you fucking ingrates what that doesn't apply here i know i just wanted to say words it. words mean things <laughs> i just wanted to say it because you it can't just use fun. whatever one you want not for kane not today he can just say whatever he wants <laughs> <laughs> look I'm, I'm getting hungry <laughs> all right Frank looked at the scars and the hooks. Again, his tongue was deficient. Will you? Outside, somewhere near, the world would soon be waking. He had watched it wake from the window of this very room, day after day, stirring itself to another round of fruitless pursuits, and he'd known, known, that there was nothing left out there to excite him. No heat, only sweat. No passion, only sudden lust. And, just as sudden, indifference. He had turned his back on such dissatisfaction. If in doing so, he had to enter... All I could think about was was Cardi B stirring a pot of macaroni during that whole segment. Wap, wap, wap. <laughs> he had turned his back on such dissatisfaction. Santa bites in this house, Santa bites in this <laughs> house. I'm sorry. <laughs> we done? We good? Yeah, All we're right. good. Please continue. He had turned his back on such dissatisfaction. If in doing so he had to interpret the signs these these creatures brought him, then that was the price of ambition. He was ready to pay it. Show me, he said. There's no going back. You do understand that? Show me. They needed no further invitation to raise the curtain. He heard the door creak as it was opened and turned to see that the world beyond the threshold had disappeared, to be replaced by the same panic-filled darkness from which the members of the Order had stepped. He looked back toward the Cenobites, seeking some explanation for this. But they'd disappeared. Their passing had not gone unrecorded, however. They'd taken the flowers with them, leaving only bare boards, and on the wall the offerings he had assembled were blackening, as if in the heat of some fierce but invisible flame. You know, you have to give the Cenobites credit. Even though you invite them in, 
they go well out of their way to make sure they're getting informed consent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that immensely. Yeah. And they're very, you know, I guess they're not completely clear on what they're offering. But I do think by the way that they look. Yeah, like, you know. You know what they're going to do to you. And it's not. I think that's assuming a lot, though. You're assuming a lot. What if they just want to read you? I mean, what? Oh, God. What if the the pain part is just forcing people to listen to the Brainworms podcast for eternity? (laughs) (laughs) Cha-ching. Conditions of the nerve endings, the likes of which your imagination, however fever, could not hope to evoke. Yeah. That that yeah. is what happens when you listen to this podcast. That's, that's true. That's incredible. Yeah. Imagine being a maker of this podcast. <sighs> no. Suddenly I sound like a genius. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I I honestly like this is framed as like a Faustian kind of thing. But they're making sure that you understand what you're getting into and good on them for that. Yeah. I mean there's there's not a whole lot of like between the depravity of what you have to do to summon them the Mm -hmm. physical appearance of them the smell of them and them outright saying hey we're gonna do some shit to you that you cannot experience any other way right and you forgot complete a puzzle first right right also complete a puzzle that takes a whole lot of work and and beyond Mm -hmm. that i i forget who someone mentioned that like they're kind of vague about it I think they're explaining it as best they can understand human perception. Right. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, You know, that makes sense. Also, sure, they're being a little vague, but only a little. Yeah. Well, they don't, and they don't identify with our perception. Right. So, I mean, to them, this, this may not be. So what are they? Well, I mean, they're members of the order of the gash. Um, mm-hmm. That couldn't be more vague Devils to me. Devils to some, angels I think it's, to others. It's their yeah. explorers in the nether realms of experience. Yeah. So it just takes more imagination than I have to glue that together. So there is a follow-up to this book, mm-hmm. which I think is called The Scarlet Order, maybe. Um, I don't recall. It came out just a few years back, within the last five yeah. or six years. It was good. It was good. I'm going to have to pick that up and peruse it. It's interesting. Scarlet Gospels. The Scarlet Gospels, yes. It's interesting mm-hmm. in that it is specifically a sequel to Hellraiser the film, mm. not so much the Hellbound Heart, because mm. the Cenobite Pinhead from the movie does not appear in this book, spoiler alert. The closest you get is the female Cenobite who has the pins in her head and tongue. Mm-hmm. But the character in Scarlet Gospels is very much Pinhead, uh, which is kind of odd. But it does go a little more in-depth into where the Cenobites come from, what they are, and what they're all about. So, you know, if you're interested in that, actually, that's a a pretty good thing to check out. Mm. It's a good book, too. Excellent. He smelled the bitterness of their consumption. It pricked his nostrils so acutely he was certain they would bleed. But the smell of burning was only the beginning. No sooner had he registered it than half a dozen other scents filled his head. Perfumes he had scarcely noticed until now were suddenly overpoweringly strong. The lingering scent of filched blossoms, the smell of the paint on the ceiling and the sap in the wood beneath his feet, all filled his head. He could even smell the darkness outside the door and, in it, the ordure of a hundred thousand birds. 
I can smell it too right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he put his hand to his mouth and nose to stop the onslaught from overcoming him, but the stench of perspiration on his fingers made him giddy. He might have been driven to nausea had there not been fresh sensations flooding his system from each nerve ending and taste bud. It seemed he could suddenly feel the collision of the dust motes with his skin. Every drawn breath chafed his lips, every blink his eyes. Bile burned in the back of his throat and a morsel of yesterday's beef that had lodged between his teeth sent spasms through his system as it exuded a droplet of gravy upon his tongue. I think he's just on ecstasy. <laughs> this also, this this whole section is just my fucking nightmare. Yeah, How just so? that hypersensitivity. Yeah, just... <laughs> I can see that, yeah. Yeah, it is like some really, really good Molly, though. <laughs> Molly. His ears were no less sensitive. His head was filled with a thousand dens, some of which he himself was farther was father to. The air that broke against his eardrums was a hurricane. The flatulence in his bowels was thunder. But there were other sounds, innumerable sounds, which assailed him from somewhere beyond himself. Voices raised in anger, whispered professions of love, roars and rattlings, snatches of song, tears. Was it the world he was hearing? Morning breaking in a thousand homes? He had no chance to listen closely. The cacophony drove any power of analysis from his head. But there was worse. The eyes. Oh, God in heaven, he had never guessed that they could be such torment. He, who'd thought there was nothing on earth left to startle him, now he reeled. Everywhere. Sight! The plain plaster of the ceiling was an awesome geography of brush strokes. The weave of his plain shirt an unbearable elaboration of threads. In the corner, he saw a mite move on a dead dove's head and wink its eyes at him, seeing that he saw. Too much. Too much. Now now he's candy flipping. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Appalled, he shut his eyes. But there was more inside than out. Memories whose violence shook him to the verge of senselessness. He sucked his mother's milk and choked felt his sibling's arms around him. A fight, was it, or a brotherly embrace? Either way, it suffocated. And more, so much more, a short lifetime of sensations all writ in a perfect hand upon his cortex, and breaking him with their insistence that they be remembered. He felt close to exploding. Surely the world outside his head, the room, and the birds beyond the door, they, for all their shrieking excesses, could not be as overwhelming as his memories. Better that, he thought, and tried to open his eyes. But they wouldn't unglue. Tears, or pus, or needle and thread had sealed them up. He thought of the faces of the Cenobites, the hooks, the chains. Had they worked some similar surgery upon him, locking him up behind his eyes with the parade of his history? In fear for his sanity, he began to address them, though he was no longer certain that they were even within earshot. Why? he asked. Why are you doing this to me? You, you literally just got done asking them to do yeah. this to you, Frank. <laughs> Let the buyer beware. The, the terrifying thing, especially, is that this is before they even start fucking with them. This is just... No, no, this is definitely them fucking. No, no, yeah, that, I mean, that... th this is before they start putting, like, chains and shit into him. Like, this is just the preamble. Mm hmm. And this all sounds pretty intense and awful. Yeah, it, so. it's, it sounds pretty yeah. amble. Um, yeah. 
opening up his senses to as much information as they can process. Right. Maybe even more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Assuredly more than he can process. He's already sure. like completely going insane and overwhelmed. Yeah. 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 He's trying to tap out. And they're like, no, mm-hmm. no, we told you once this begins. You're committed. Yeah. This, this just <laughs> continues. It's like eating acid. The echo of his words roared in his ears, but he scarcely attended to it. More sense impressions were swimming up from the past to torment him. Childhood still lingered on its tongue, milk and frustration, but there were adult feelings joining it now. He was grown. He was mustached and mighty, hands heavy, gut large. Just like me. (laughs) Youthful pleasures had possessed the appeal of newness. But as the years had crept on and mild sensation lost its potency, stronger and stronger experiences had been called for, and here they came again, more pungent for being laid in the darkness at the back of his head. He felt untold tastes upon his tongue, bitter, sweet, sour, salty, smelled spice and shit in his mother's hair, saw cities and skies, saw speed, saw deeps, broke bread with men now dead and was scalded by the heat of their spittle on his cheek. God, they're they're turning him into a fourth dimensional being. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like he's just experiencing everything that he's ever yeah. experienced in his life all in one rush, which is, that's a lot, guys. That's a lot. He's existing in all mm-hmm. realities simultaneously. He's in every yeah. timeline. Right. And of course, there were the women. Always, amid the flurry and confusion, memories of women appeared, assaulting him with their scents, their textures, their tastes. The proximity of this harem aroused him, despite circumstances. He opened his trousers and caressed his cock, more eager to have the seed spilled and so be freed of these creatures than for the pleasure of it. He was dimly aware, as he worked his inches, that he must make a pitiful sight, a blind man in an empty room, aroused for a dream's sake. But the racking, joyless orgasm failed to even slow the relentless display. His knees buckled and his body collapsed to the boards where his spunk had fallen. There was a spasm of pain as he hit the floor, but the response was washed away before another wave of memories. He rolled onto his back and screamed, screamed and begged for an end to it. But the sensations only rose higher still, whipped to fresh heights with every prayer for cessation he offered up. The pleas became a single sound, words and sense eclipsed by panic. It seemed there was no end to this, but madness. No hope but to be lost to hope. As he formulated this last despairing thought, the torment stopped. All at once, all of it, gone. Sight, sound, touch, taste, smell... He was abruptly bereft of them all. There were seconds, then, when he doubted his very existence. Two heartbeats. Three. Four. On the fifth beat, he opened his eyes. The room was empty, the doves and the pisspot gone. The door was closed. Gingerly, he sat up. His limbs were tingling, his head, wrist, and bladder ached. And then... A movement at the other end of the room drew his attention. Where, two moments before, there had been an empty space, now there was a figure. It was the fourth Cenobite, the one that had never spoken nor shown its face. Not it, he now saw, but she. The hood it had worn had been discarded, 
as had the robes. The woman beneath was gray yet gleaming, her lips bloody, her legs parted so that the elaborate scarification of her pubis was displayed. She sat on a pile of rotting human heads and smiled in welcome. The collision of sensuality and death appalled him. Could he have any doubt that she had personally dispatched these victims? Their rot was beneath her nails and their tongues, twenty or more, lay out in ranks on her oiled thighs as if awaiting entrance. Nor did he doubt that the brains now seeping from their ears and nostrils had been driven to insanity before a blow or a kiss had stopped their hearts. Kircher had lied to him. Either that, or he'd been horribly deceived. There was no pleasure in the air, or at least not as humankind understood it. He had made a mistake opening Lamarckin's box. A very terrible mistake. That's fine. <sighs> yeah, it's all good, man. It's fine. Just, just go with it. I feel like I'm walking through a, a fun house with all these mirrors that are distorting my image. Oh, so you finished dreaming, said the Cenobite perusing him as he lay panting on the bare boards. Good. She stood up. The tongues fell to the floor like a rain of slugs. Now we can begin, she said. Such a gross and beautifully constructed image. Yeah. yeah. And also, Holy just shit. like, after all of that, now we can begin. I told you, it hadn't begun yet. Mm -hmm. yep. <sighs> Ooh, that was a hell of a just chapter. Just getting started. Just getting yeah. started. And and just the fact that we all just fell silent and let that scene unfold mm -hmm. was super good. Right. I was trying. <laughs> I was. I wanted to go ahead and throw some stuff in there, and then as you went, I was just like, "Oh, damn!" Yeah. What if Pee Wee opened the box? Like like Herman? Pee, Pee Wee yeah. Herman? Ha <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> What do you I mean, want? Like Paul Rubin? <laughs> Paul Rubin would have just jacked off into the box. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, so did fair. Frank. So, so did Frank. Yeah. Yeah. So did Frank. But I, I don't know. I, I imagine that instead of that final Cenobite, he would have gotten large Marge. Oh, jeez. That would be I like to believe, incredible. Know, right? We talk about Pee Wee Herman a surprising amount. It's the Pee Wee cast, yeah. Well, this is my first time, so I... I wouldn't know. I can't describe to you guys how much more willingly I would do anything with Large Marge than the Cenobites. <laughs> I would certainly take a ride in a truck with her before I would take a ride in a truck with the Cenobite. That's yeah, all I'm saying. Really do anything to <laughs> you other than. It depends on what we're doing. What if I just have like a friendship with a Cenobite and they're like, hey, I've got to head out to, you know, Lowe's to, to get some hammers and nails and mm -hmm. some chains that I got to, I got to get together. Do you want to come hang out? You know, we'll just hang out while I get these supplies. Go shopping. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. Cenobites yeah. physically do something to you though. Whereas large Marge, all she does is request that you tell people that she sent you. Yeah, that's true. Right. But what I'm saying though, is, is that if I opened the box, then I, I would be really upset. Sure. But if I didn't, if I just knew the Cenobite, you know, and the sure. Cenobite's like, hey, Kane, yeah, I know I look, this it's a whole new thing, but... I look menacing, but... Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm still the me, I just 
you know, I'm not me. Yeah. You know? So like, like one day you wake up and I give you a call and I'm like, hey, uh, so some funny stuff happened. Listen. <laughs> How did you get to know that yeah. Cenobite in the first place? Were you like catfished or something? You knew them before they were a yeah. Cenobite. I think he's the No, I, I yeah. think the, the real I don't know, man. I've never known you to be friendly with people that were like wrapped up in weird religious orders. Also, I think <laughs> the real implication is that Kane is on a sitcom like Friends with, with Cenobites. With with Cenobites, what do you think Cenobites are like on their day off? Though, do you think they're still? Do they have a day off, Joe? It's like Alice Cooper. Mm. You know, you don't expect to see it, but there he is out there just with his fucking golf clubs. Mm -hmm. I think they go like shooting crossbows with like Ted Nugent and Bo Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what. (laughs) Clearly, need to repeat that. Do I actually need to repeat Ted Nugent and Bo Jackson? That's just a that's an interesting duo. Yeah, they're like they like to bow hunt. Oh, oh, or something of that nature. I don't know. Sure. I'm just using my imagination here. I'm really sad that the cartoon that was like Michael Jordan, Wayne Gretzky, and Bo Jackson. Oh, the All Stars or whatever. I'm really sad. Get here from that they didn't hang out (laughs) with Ted Nugent. I'm really sad that that didn't happen. Wango Tango, man. Like (laughs) Wango Z Tango. Yeah. Well, I don't think Michael Jordan and, and Ted Nugent have a lot in common. I agree completely. Or, I don't know. Bo Jackson Aside and from Ted being Nugent wealthy, fire crossbows. Maybe. They're both well known. They enjoy crossbows. But Michael Jordan and Wayne Gretzky, I don't see the connection between them and Ted Nugent. It, I just don't think it works. <laughs> yeah, that's a reach. That's a reach. <laughs> Look, man, I don't. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Can we go back to the to the story? I love that. I'm... <laughs> Chapter two. <laughs> It's not quite what I expected, Julia commented as they stood in the hallway. It was twilight, a cold day in August. Not the ideal time to view a house that has been left empty for so long. It needs work, Rory said. That's all. It's not been touched since my grandmother died. That's the best part of three years, and I'm pretty sure she never did anything to it towards the end of her life. And it's yours. Mine and Frank's. It was willed to us both. But when was the last time anybody saw Big Brother? She shrugged, as if she couldn't remember, though she remembered very well, a week before the wedding. Someone said he spent a few days here last summer, running away, no doubt. Then he was off again. He's got no interest in property. The old prevert. But suppose we move in, and then he comes back, once what's his. I'll buy him out. I'll get a loan from the bank and buy him out. He's always hard up for cash. She nodded, but looked less than persuaded. Don't worry, he said, going to where she was standing and wrapping his arms around her. This place is ours, Dole. We can paint it and pamper it and make it like heaven. He scanned her face. Just like heaven. Show me, show me, show me. (laughs) Nice. He scanned her face. Sometimes, particularly when doubt moved her as it did now, her beauty came close to frightening him. Trust me, he said. I do. All right, then. What say we start moving in on Sunday? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. If someone tells you with perfect confidence to trust them, don't trust maybe them. Maybe don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I knew a guy one time. He, he was very fond of saying, he was a Turkish fellow, never trust a man who says, trust me. Trust That's me. wise. That's wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Who's the guy that owned Hamptons that basically ripped you off and fled the country? Oh, that was Ray. Ray is now in Florida, as far as I can tell. I don't. I don't know, but not the same guy. Ray was uh, Jordanian. Okay. 
Did he tell you with perfect confidence to trust him? He didn't do much of anything with perfect confidence, honestly. Raiden. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, a, that was, that was something. That was a part yep. of my life that happened. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's actually connected to mine, but not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we are Hamptons <laughs> brothers. And this whole yes. bit is incomprehensible to anyone but us. So, yep. yeah. I, I, I don't even know what. I was going to ask about <laughs> it. I'm having a good time anyway. I'm very confused. Uh, it was all that time we spent <laughs> in the Hamptons. No, don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. I would say for a while I ruled the Hamptons. You, yeah, yeah. King of the Hamptons, that was you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Sunday. It was still the Lord's Day up this end of the city. Even if the owners of these well-dressed houses and well-pressed children were no longer believers, they still observed the Sabbath. Don't press your children, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> a few curtains were twitched aside when Luton's van drew up, and the unloading began. Some curious neighbors even sauntered past the house once or twice on the pretext of walking the hounds. But nobody spoke to the new arrivals, much less offered a hand with the furniture. Sunday was not Rude. a day to break sweat. Julia looked after the unpacking, while Rory... Un I hate saying that name. It's annoying. Rory. Rory. Just say it like Rory. <laughs> Make it easy. Just call him Daddy. <laughs> Like say it the way like a like a like a mumble rapper would say like Ferrari be like Rari. Rari. Or like the robot Wally. Wally. <laughs> you could say it like that. That'd be yeah. great. Rari. Or you could just call yeah. her Hank. I'm Rory. I'm just gonna go with Larry, which is what they changed it to in the movie, as I recall. Yeah. Do you know hmm. why they did that? Because it's annoying to say the name Rory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Kind of makes you sound like you have a biscuit in your mouth. Raw, right. Raw, right. Yeah. Yeah. If there are any Rory's listening to us, go fuck yourself. You know. You know. <laughs> yeah. You've lived with it. Yeah. You probably have a nickname so that you don't have to call yourself I mean, Rory. What's up? I'm Rory. I mean, subscribe and then go to our Patreon, but then go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm Julia. Look. I was going to apologize for interrupting. I'm so sorry. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Shut up, Joe. Let him go. Julia looked after the unpacking while Rory organized the unloading of the van with Luton and Mad Bob providing the extra muscle. Mad fucking Bob. <laughs> Mad Bob. It took four round trips to transfer the bulk of the stuff from Alexandra Road, and at the end of the day, there was still a good deal of bric-a-brac left behind to be collected at a later point. All right, uh, I've got to interrupt. Mm -hmm. How the fuck, as a mover, do you get the, like, mad... That'd be a moniker. I, I, I already have a story. I, I I know how it happened. He's a guy okay. that that is. All right, yeah, fill us in, man. He is so plain, you know, like so. Oh, it's like so, an ironic nickname. So average that one time, completely out of character, he got a Kit Kat bar and ate it without breaking it apart, and that's how he got his name. That was really unsatisfying. Yeah, that was I kind of wish of all someone of else time. would have told that story thanks chris for ruining <laughs> the, the the saga of mad what bob i think like my point is like i am the epoch like, of human disappointment at first you were on a track like no no he's just a really chill guy and they call him that as a joke and so you're like yeah that makes sense it's an ironic nickname those happen but then then you ruined it and disappointed both us and probably the listeners and and jesus, and jesus. you made the baby jesus emo the elephant god ganesh <laughs> is very disappointed in you <laughs> you have made uh, ganesh satan is indifferent. Yeah, satan's over the it. elephant god's name is uh john merrick by nice. the way i see what you did there Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well played sir. all right well 
David, I guess, I guess now that all yeah, that I keep happened, reading and don't ahead. stop. Yeah. Also, I, I'm pretty sure that Luton is not a mover. I think Luton and Mad Bob are just people they know who oh, helped right. out and Luton happens to own a van. Could be no, wrong. No, that makes but sense. That's, that's what I'm going with here. Yeah. Because I wouldn't hire a mover named Mad Bob. I don't care if it is an ironic nickname based on a bad Kit Kat incident. <laughs> that's, it's not based on a Kit Kat incident. All right? Imagine Mad Bob, though, like moving like expensive vases. I don't know. I mean, I don't have any in my apartment, but just I'm thinking of him releasing that in my mind, like allowing this person named Mad Bob to like handle any precious <laughs> yeah. wares of mine. Your, your delicate I feel like they'd be subject to shatter... And that would yeah. displease me. Yeah. I would Mad not. Bob, like why don't you take t- the pillows? <laughs> I'll yeah. handle these family heirlooms, Mad Bob. Yeah. You go yeah. ahead and a, grab the dresser. What the movers had? Like getting a tattoo yeah. from Shaky Pete. Yeah. No. <laughs> now hold that. still, because I can't. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not going to get a tattoo from Shaky Pete, and Mad Bob is not moving my uh, dishware. No, once again, I'm happening. glad you cut off my joke, because yours is wildly more funny and well put together than mine. <laughs> You should you should keep that in mind for the future, Chris. Yeah, you should just try making better jokes, and then we won't have to cut you off. Honestly, I have. I mean, I, my phone is on silent mode, but I mean, we could like set up a situation where you have like a code word that tells me I need to look at my phone, and then you text me the thing you think is funny. And then I'll just put a Y or an N, and then we just keep going. Can we actually call that a safe word? Instead of a code word. Which is very no. appropriate in the context of the Hellbound Heart. <laughs> That's where I'm going yeah. Oh, that. yeah. We're reading a thing. <laughs> we were. I was trying to do a segue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, segue your ass. What? You know, Pickle your ass. I'm just, I'm just going to say that I'm annoyed with Clive Barker for having a character named Rory. Sure. And a character named Kirsty. What? In the same book. It's true. <laughs> it's complicated Bad for the time. What is this? Lingual terrorism? Like that <laughs> couldn't Clive be Christie. No, couldn't be Christy. Fuck you. Not Christy. Kirsty. Kirsty, yeah. Kirsty, daughter of Rory. <laughs> <laughs> a niece of it's Frank. It's a family tradition niece of, Frank. of just <laughs> terrible names. <laughs> they they seem, and I'm not a, a cultural know about her. But they seem like very Irish names. Oh. They do seem fairly Irish. Yeah. David, would you do us a favor and say them with an Irish accent every time they pop up? Nope. <laughs> would you do it once? No. Maybe. <clears throat> At some point, you'll just have to listen and see if it happens. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Well, this is the perfect time for this to continue, then, yep. the, the reading part. Yeah. About two in the afternoon, Kirsty turned up on the doorstep. Came to see if I could give you a hand, she said, with a tone of vague apology in her voice. Well, you'd better come in, Julia said. She went back into the front room, which was a battlefield in which only chaos was winning, and quietly cursed Rory. Love is a battlefield. Inviting the lost soul round to offer her services was his doing, no doubt of it. She would be more a hindrance than a help. Her dreamy, perpetually defeated manner set Julia's teeth on edge. What can I do? Kirsty asked. Rory said, yes, said Julia. I'm sure he did. Where is he? Rory, I mean. Gone back for another van load to add to the misery. (laughs) Oh, Julia softened her expression. You know, it's very sweet of you, she said, to come round like this. 
but I don't think there's much you can do just at the moment. Is anyone else sensing some hostility between these two characters? A, a touch, yeah. yeah, a little. It's subtle, yeah. but I think it's there, yeah. <laughs> Kirsty flushed slightly. Dreamy she was, but not stupid. I see, she said. Are you sure? Can't, I mean, maybe I could make a cup of coffee for you? Coffee, said Julia. The thought of it made her realize just how parched her throat had become. Coffee yes. will fix that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, she conceded. That's not a bad idea. Coffee known for its refreshing hydration. <sighs> I'm glad the author made that distinction between dreamy and stupid. Yeah, yeah, me too, actually. The coffee making was not without its minor traumas. No task Kirsty undertook was ever entirely simple. Big same. <laughs> She stood in the kitchen, boiling water in a pan it had taken a quarter of an hour to find, thinking that maybe she shouldn't have come after all. Julia always looked at her so strangely, as if faintly baffled by the fact that she hadn't been smothered at birth. Damn. No matter. I get that a lot, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You have that vibe. No I've matter. I've never met you, but I can hear that you get that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the things said on praying worms. That comment just straight to the heart. <laughs> um, listeners, leave a so comment awesome. if, if you think that, that Chris should have been smothered at birth as well. <laughs> or or if you think that he just should have been a blowjob. Hmm. <sighs> Damn. No matter. Rory had asked her to come, hadn't he? And that was invitation enough. She would not have turned down the chance of his smile for a hundred Julia's. The van arrived 25 minutes later, minutes in which the women had twice attempted and twice failed to get a conversation simmering. They had little in common, Julia the sweet, the beautiful, the winner of glances and kisses, and Kirsty, the girl with the pale handshake, whose eyes were only ever as bright as Julia's before or after tears. She had long ago decided that life was unfair, but why, when she'd accepted that bitter truth, did circumstance insist on rubbing her face in it? She surreptitiously watched Julia as she worked, and it seemed to Kirsty that the woman was incapable of ugliness. Every gesture, a stray hair brushed from the eyes with the back of the hand, dust blown from a favorite cup, all were infused with such effortless grace. Just buy a Joy Division album and get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing Radio. it. Radio. <laughs> She understood Rory's dog-like adulation, and, understanding it, despaired afresh. He came in at last, squinting and sweaty. The afternoon sun was fierce. He grinned at her, parading the ragged line of his front teeth that she had first found so irresistible. I'm glad you could come, he said. Happy to help, she replied, but he had already looked away at Julia. How's it going? I'm losing my mind, she told him. Well, now you can rest from your labors, he said. We brought the bed this trip. He gave her a conspiratorial wink, but she didn't respond. Can I help with unloading? Kirsty offered. Luton and M.B. are doing it, came Rory's reply. Oh. But I'd give an arm and a leg for a cup of tea. We haven't found the tea, Julia told him. Oh, maybe a coffee then? Right, said Kirsty. And for the other two? They'd kill for a cup. Kirsty went back to the kitchen, filled the small pan to near brimming, and set it back on the stove. In fact, they literally have. 
From the hallway, she heard Rory supervising the next unloading. It was the bed. The bridal bed. Though she tried very hard to keep the thought of his embracing Julia out of her mind, she could not. As she stared into the water, and it simmered and steamed and finally boiled, the same painful images of their pleasure came back and back. Yeah, so definitely Kirsty, not Rory's daughter. No, not in, not in this version, I don't believe. No, that. no, no. While the trios were away, gathering the fourth and final load of the day, Julia lost her temper with the unpacking. It was a disaster, she said. I get everything. That. I hate moving <laughs> so much. Holy shit. Yep. I'm basically probably never going to do it again. I'm just going to like die in this house mm -hmm. if I have to. That's... And they didn't write about any other friends or hiring movers, did they? I mean, they've got Luton and Mad Bob. Mad Bob. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's true. Mad Bob. But Mad, Bob Mad and Bob's Luton. just going to carry the couch, right? He's not going to handle any of the precious stuff, right? Yeah, nothing nothing specifically uh, you know, valuable. You you can't okay. trust Mad Bob with that. Luton and Mad Bob sound like an awesome rap group from the mid 90s. <laughs> or weirdly enough that's true, but also they sound like an awesome like folk punk sure. band yeah. from right now. Definitely. Yeah. They also sound like they could be like um a pair of characters from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They also yeah. sound like they're in a really interesting book. Yeah, 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 yeah. True, you don't true, get to true, do true, segues. While the trios were away, gathering the fourth and final load of the day, Julia lost her temper with the unpacking. It was a disaster, she said. Everything had been parceled up and put into the tea chests in the wrong order. She was having to disinter perfectly useless items to get access to the bare necessities. Kirsty kept her silence and her place in the kitchen, washing the soiled cups. Cursing louder, Julia left the chaos and went out for a cigarette on the front steps. She leaned against the open door and breathed the pollen-gilded air. Already, though it was only the 21st of August, oh, my eyes. the afternoon was tinged with a smoky scent that heralded autumn. She had lost oh. track of... Come again? No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was awkward. Yeah. She had lost track of how fast the day had gone, for as she stood there, a bell began to ring for evensong, the run of chimes rising and falling in lazy waves. The sound was reassuring. It made her think of her childhood, though not, that she could remember, of any particular day or place, simply of being young, of mystery. It was four years since she'd last stepped into a church, the day of her marriage to Rory, in fact. The thought of that day, or rather of the promise it had failed to fulfill, soured the moment. She left the step, the chimes in full flight, and turned back into the house. After the touch of the sun on her upturned face, oh God, the she's interior a seemed gloomy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, glad that happened. <laughs> Me too. Because it's like a pun, it's, it has two meanings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it means she turns so, into a house. Yeah. Yeah, we all we all got it. <laughs> this has been episode five million in explaining. Yup. That's the joke.jpg. After the touch of the sun on her upturned face, the interior seemed gloomy. Suddenly she tired to the point of tears. They would have to assemble the bed before they could put their heads down to sleep tonight, and they had yet to decide which room they would use as the master bedroom. She would do that now, she elected, and so avoid having to return to the front room and to ever mournful Kirsty. 
The bell was still peeling when she opened the door of the front room on the second floor. It was the largest of the three upper rooms, a natural choice. But the sun had not got in today, or any other day this summer, because the blinds were drawn across the window. The room was consequently chillier than anywhere else in the house. The air stagnant. She crossed the stained floorboards to the window, intending to remove the blind. At the sill, a strange thing. The blind had been securely nailed to the window frame, effectively cutting out the least intrusion of life from the sunlit street beyond. Makes sense to me. She tried to pull the material free, but failed. The workman, whoever he'd been, had done a thorough job. It's a good man, Jeffrey. And thorough. Yeah. You keep that sun out, my dude. <laughs> no matter. She'd have Rory take a claw hammer to the nails when he got back. She turned from the window, and as she did so, she was suddenly and forcibly aware that the bell was still summoning the faithful. Were they not coming tonight? Was the hook not sufficiently baited with promises of paradise? The thought was only half alive. It withered in moments. But the bell rolled on, reverberating around the room. Her limbs, already aching with fatigue, seemed dragged down further by each peel. Her head throbbed intolerably. The room was hateful, she'd decided. It was stale and its benighted walls clammy. Despite its size, she would not let Rory persuade her into using it as the master bedroom. Let it rot. Fuck that room. She started toward the door, but as she came within a yard of it, the corners of the room seemed to creak, and the door slammed. Her nerves jangled. It was all she could do to prevent herself from sobbing. Instead, she simply said, Go to hell, and snatched at the handle. It turned easily, why should it not, yet she was relieved, and the door swung open. From the hall below, a splash of warmth and ochre light. She closed the door behind her and, with a queer satisfaction the root of which she couldn't or wouldn't fathom, turned the key in the lock. As she did so, the bell stopped. But it's the biggest of the room. I don't like it, Rory. It's damp. We can use the back room. If we can get the bloody bed through the door... Of course we can. You know we can. Seems waste of a good room, he protested, knowing full well that this was a fait accompli. Mother knows best, she told him, and smiled at him with eyes whose luster was far from maternal. And that's the end. Nice. Brilliant. I like when we get to read good books mm -hmm. on the show. It doesn't mm -hmm. happen often. There were some chilling and, descriptions involved. Yeah. yeah it's really yeah, into it. Yeah, yeah. Also, like, I know we should quit, but Jesus, the first section, again, it's a very short little section mm -hmm. of chapter three, is just awesome. So I'm going to read this yeah, and do. then we're going to be done. Yeah, let's give the listeners that, uh, that experience. The seasons long for each other, like men and women, in order that they may be cured of their excesses. Spring if it lingers more than a week beyond its span, starts to hunger for summer to end the days of perpetual promise. Summer, in its turn, soon begins to sweat for something to quench its heat, and the mellowest of autumns will tire of gentility at last, and ache for a quick, sharp frost to kill its fruitfulness. Even winter, the hardest season, the most implacable, dreams as February creeps on, of the flame that will presently melt it away. Everything tires with time and starts to seek some opposition to save it from itself. So August gave way to September, and there were few complaints.
Nice. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. It's beautiful. Yeah. That was super yeah. good. I, I couldn't not read that. I understand, right. definitely. This coming winter has real potential of being implacable. Yeah. It does. It, it does. does. It got chilly real early this year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it feels pretty warm out right now. Mm. So, yeah, what, are we, what did we think about the Hellbound Heart? Any, any thoughts? It's fucking awesome. It's so good. It's such a yeah. good book. Yeah, it is. It's, it's excellent. I have read this before. This, again, falls into Same. the rare category of things that I have read. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't read it since uh, probably, Jesus, like 2004, right. I think, was maybe the last time that I read it. First time would have been probably around like 99 because mm-hmm. I'm old. But, yeah, 2004 um, was a year after I graduated high school. Wow. Shut yeah. up, Joe. <laughs> I'm old. But, uh, but no, it's it's a it's a really like just the the description in in, in the in the Hellbound Heart, the mm-hmm. descriptions never seem superfluous. They right. never seem unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It's like everything is exactly how it's supposed to be except for the name Rory <laughs> except for Rory yeah and those descriptions are flowerly flower flowerly, flowerly. and gruesome <laughs> mm-hmm. um and that oh i was just impressed by how like beautiful and grotesque they were right together barker has a gift for that he does though. like it's it, i just- i read a lot of clive barker when i was younger Mm-hmm. Um, I will Same. admit I'm not as big of a fan of his now. I still like his earlier work, but his more recent stuff just doesn't grab me in the same way. But he's really just got this incredible way of making the most terrifying and unpleasant things sound mm-hmm. appealing and beautiful. Right. And are we going to talk more about the, the Cenobites later on, or is this my only chance to talk about the Cenobites? Um, no, if you have something to say about Cenobites, go ahead. Um, just, just I'll say it briefly. Conceptually, they are absolutely terrifying to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <clears throat> not from their visuals or anything like that, but they could be doing things to you, and you could, with perfect meaning describe how it's hurting you and you don't like it and you, you you or you could ask them like please stop please help me and they would say okay i'm going to help you and then they'll, they'll do something even worse and they can't like conceptualize that it's that that it's hurting you it's all the same thing to them mm-hmm. yeah i mean they're they're basically the to to kind of put it in nerd terms, they're the absolute embodiment of lawful evil. Sure. Yep. Like they will do precisely what they set out to do. They will mm-hmm. keep to the contract to the letter of it. Absolutely. Without any doubt. And they'll even tell you in advance precisely what it is that they're going to do and mm-hmm. put all sorts of barriers in place for you before you can get to it. And yet still, just terrifying and also even in the like grotesquerie and the terror of what they are and what they represent Mm -hmm. fascinating and weirdly compelling oh yeah Mm -hmm. it's how i imagine honestly like what an experience would be like if you were abducted by aliens and strapped down to a table and experimented upon that's just like where my imagination goes with yeah, that yeah yeah oh yeah sure yeah, there's there's some similarity there i'm sure um and even down to the gray skin right right 
made worse by the fact that you asked the Cenobites to do this to you. Yep. Yeah. After completing a puzzle. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, there are several things that could be talked about in regards to uh, differences in story in the book format versus the probably much more well-known film adaptation, but that'll get probably gone into in depth. Yeah, we'll Um, definitely have a chance to have that conversation. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, you know, tune on in to Butcher Block for uh, their Hellraiser episode. But um, I think what I really like about this story, and it has been a a long time since I've read the book. Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, the parts that I really, really remembered were pretty much the parts that we just read the early part of the book stuck with me i think much more than the last later part of it Mm -hmm. but the mundanity of it i think is what's really powerful here it's like it's it's just a fucking suburban house it's just people sure and you've got this guy you know who has seen it all and done it all or thinks that he has and at the you know and I don't know about the rest of you, but I was joking earlier about being old. I can remember being 29 and feeling like I had done everything. Right. Like life is over. I'm going to be 30. Jesus Christ, it's all downhill from here. I'm never going to have another new experience. And it's interesting to look back now from, you know, in my 40s and see how just naive that is. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something to that. Like this story couldn't happen to someone older than like 30. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, I agree. You've got to have that weird kind of cross section of world weary, but also still too young to know better. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Because having that, that sensation that, or that feeling that there's got to be more. I, I think is not just relegated to youth. I think it's, I think it's something that extends across age. You know, I would actually say that you know, in your fifties and sixties, if the the mark com, uh, configuration, you know, if you get a hold of that thing, you're like, all right, well, I've seen all this shit. Yeah, I want to see something else. I think I think that's yeah. I could see being on the other side of it, where you have legitimately experienced as much as you're going to experience. Right. So like, you know, 75 years old sitting in a hospital room hooked up on oxygen and somebody brings you a puzzle box. I might take some time, you know, like what else, what else am I going to do? And what have I got to lose? Yeah. Fuck it. I'd do it tomorrow. (laughs) I think there's a a Peggy Lee song from the late 1960s called, is that all there is that kind of talks about all that? Yeah. The the big thing that you have to lose is dying naturally and ending. (laughs) The, the Cenobite existence might be eternal and have fun with Mm -hmm. that. I'll die and end. Yeah, it is. It is a great question. Does Frank now just exist forever Mm-hmm. experiencing everything i don't Forever. think i want that i i don't yeah. think anyone wants that but i could definitely see the temptation it's like the long version of being a vampire right 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 yeah so if you could just narrow it down like the microcosm of that would be being a vampire and you could, if you could just wrap your mind around what that would mean then add all those other elements to it and imagine what tortures 
would create in your mind. Yeah. Well, pleasant dreams, kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a nice note to end on. Unless yeah. someone has something specific that they want to add. Nah, thanks, JD. Thanks, yeah, for, thanks for hanging us. out with us in yeah, Brainwaves. Absolutely, man. It thanks was cool for having, having you here. Yeah. It, it was it was real expensive to get you up to the moon, but worth it. Yeah, it was enjoyable. <laughs> Just be glad they didn't make you And I didn't mean what clone. I said about mm. you, Chris, that I'd never met you, so that was not a shot or a <laughs> negative comment. Wait, what? He His feelings don't matter, JD. Yeah, it's fine. We, we created him in a lab to be the piss boy. <laughs> the piss clown? The piss, piss clown, clown yeah. that's right. So, yeah, if you enjoyed what we do, then definitely go to wegiveyoubrainworms.com and see what you can find there to excite yourself. Expect to be titillated. Yep. Unknown pleasures await you at wegiveyoubrainworms.com. And some pain. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't forget to interact with the medium. You know, if you're listening on Spotify, leave a review. If you are And don't forget to interact with the larges and the smalls, too. I don't know what that even means but do, but i guess do that uh don't forget to like subscribe ring the bell and for once we are not sorry we actually hope that yeah, you you're enjoyed welcome. uh the experience thank you for listening and uh goodbye this has been a production of brainworms presents any copyright content contained within is used for purposes of review brainworms podcast is david combs kane magdalene christian schaefer and joseph wells the theme music is hodgepodge number one by brian davis If you like what you heard, you can support us and learn about our other projects at wegiveyoubrainworms.com or by leaving a review on your favorite listening app. Chorizo wept.